Take your time, think a lot. Why think of everything you've got? For you will still be here tomorrow, but your dreams may not. This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. How can I try to explain? Welcome back, when Indianapolis, to another edition of Saturday Night on the Circle. The gang's all the here. Same. We're excited and same ready to go for another broadcast. That's producer Gary on the board, beep, 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 pushing the buttons and making the things function for the show. Uh, producer Carl waiting in the wings as well. Happy to be here. There's lots to discuss. Most importantly, or I guess one of the more significant news items from this week was the Republican debate. Low attended, though it may be a low ratings event. Five Republicans gathered on the stage and one of them kicked some serious butt. I'm of course talking about the underdog Vivek Rama Swami, who came out swinging as soon as the debate started, and he was talking my late language, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on? Where's my? Uh, we need to have the host PC up. Are we? Ronna McDaniel we took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017. We have lost 2018, 2020, 2022. No red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023, and I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Chris, I'm going to use this time because it's actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross, this is how we get our country back. Because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Oh, my God. How can you not love this guy? That was phenomenal. What a stupendous way to open the Republican debate. You want to talk about fire and it continued through the debate he was bringing the sizzlers he had the lines he was one up in his primary opponents and in a political cycle that is largely defined by personality not only was he making the correct ideological points on many issues he also had the fire he had the personality he had the zeal to back it up taking shots at fellow opponents including Nikki Haley who he compared to Dick Cheney in 
giant three-inch heels in one of the funniest moments in recent political memory. The founding vision of Israel was based on the idea that they don't want to depend on anybody else's sympathy or direction in defending themselves. So what I would tell Bibi is that Israel has the right and the responsibility to defend itself. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border, and then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. That's his responsibility. This is our responsibility. That's how we move forward. But I want to be careful to avoid making the mistakes from the neocon establishment of the past. Corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting wars that sent thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age, to die in wars that did not advance anyone's interests, adding $7 trillion to our national debt. And Joe Biden sold off our foreign policy. Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a $5 million bribe from Ukraine. That's why we're sending $200 billion back to that same country. The fact of the matter is the Republican Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the UN. Bankrupt or in debt is, was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's gonna put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In case we've got two of them on stage Ramaswamy, thank you. Dick Cheney in three-inch heels, he says. I mean, he's not wrong. She wants to bomb any opponent she sees to America, whether it's the Hamas terrorists or drug cartels in Mexico. Talk about bombing Mexico, expanding the theater on two continents, whatever. I, you know, Nikki Haley's vision, she's not far off from other Republicans on the uh, debate stage, which we'll get to in just a moment. But she had a retort for young Vivek. I'm not sure it means what she thought. The implications of saying she was comfortable in running in heels, well, we'll get to in just a moment. First, like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um... <laughs> What does she do for a living? She's in sales. Wholesales. What? Granddad, does she duck under the table every time a dude in a purple suit walks in? A lot of people do that. Can she run really, 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 really fast in high heels? I don't know. Average speed, I guess. Race you to the car. <laughs> okay. Uh. Uh. Maybe a little above average. The second thing that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. Huh? I'm still scratching my head over that. I, I hear producer Carl in the background. Huh? Yeah, I don't understand what this means. You're using your heels for ammunition, let alone the drop that you're comfortable running in the heels. Like, I'm not sure that implication means what you think it means, but if that's the direction you want to go, Nikki Haley, feel free. Now, Ron DeSantis, he also was on the debate stage, but I thought his performance could have been bolstered by a couple of things. First of all, if he turned up the energy by about 35 maybe 45 max percent he would have done a lot better and then second of all swinging back and circling back the conversation always to his executive leadership as the florida governor that's his strongest talking point that's the area that he has to lead that's the area that he has examples to draw from and it would serve him well to circle back and make that a talking point a foundational aspect of his campaign but he seemed to leave that more 
often than not by the wayside. However, uh, he did make some points I agree with. They were polemic in nature, but, you know, talking about dismantling Bidenomics, yeah, I agree, man. Go for it. Here's what he had to say. What can you do on day one? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the executive orders, the regulations, everything involving Bidenomics. I'm going to rip it up. And I'm going to throw it in the trash can on day one where it belongs. That is going to give the economy breathing room. And I'm also going to rein in the Federal Reserve. They have helped create uh, with their reckless monetary policy what we have faced since the COVID-19 pandemic. They botched it. Congress botched it. Both parties are to blame. Fed should focus on stable prices. They are not an economic central planner for the American people. Absolutely right. We need to take back control of our economy from the Fed, which is this unelected bureaucracy that operates largely outside of the authority of Congress. So Ron DeSantis speaking my language there, but there were other Republicans on the stage. And if you thought Nikki Haley's plan to bomb Mexico was a little extreme, well, get ready for Tim Scott, who also thinks in addition to uh, funding the war with Israel and funding the war with uh, uh, Ukraine, we also need to stick our nose into Iran and start bombing Iran. You have to strike in Iran. If you want to make a difference, you cannot just continue to have strikes in Syria on warehouses. You actually have to cut off the head of the snake, and the head of the snake is Iran and not simply their proxies. In order for us to have a powerful response from America, we have to be in a position of strength. As President of the United States, my foreign policy is simple. You cannot negotiate with evil. You have to destroy it. To a mosque, gonna throw some rocks. Tell the Ayatollah, gonna put you in a box. Some people might be saying, oh, my gosh, killing, that's not godly. No, it's, ab- it's absolutely very godly. God dealt with evil the same way. You kill it, you put an end to it, and then you can live in peace. Oh, boy, here I go killing again. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? So there you go. If your heart was warmed by Bush-era global police policy, then you got Tim Scott circling back to those uh, those days. Uh, you know, but just just bomb your way to peace. That's uh, that is surely the solution we need for stable foreign policy uh, uh, around the world and certainly for America. Lots to cover in the debate. There were other memorable moments, but I'm sure you've heard them covered to death already. So we will continue with other topics for the show coming up next we'll talk about the sordid tale of a beloved east side institution a restaurant which has been part of the community for more than 30 years they've gone through a crazy roller coaster of the last couple of weeks open close and back open again maybe maybe not we'll give you the details coming up next if you are a resident of the east side you will surely love this restaurant that has been around for years and we'll tell you what has came of it in the next segment so stay tuned to the one and only 93 WIBC we the saying the shoes now and whole building scene then a whole red maybe get the color boss dying 
This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back, Indianapolis. I'm your bespectacled curmudgeon, the square peg in a round world. Ethan Hatcher returning to the airwaves and producer Gary pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. I told you we would regale you with a sordid story of a beloved East Side institution during this segment, and I'll follow through. Anybody who's been around East Washington Street in the Cumberland region is surely familiar with, especially if you're a fan of Asian food, the Thai Chinese restaurant Fast Walk owned by Mama, operated for more than 30 years, uh, just outside of the Washington Square Mall. I've been going there since I was but a yet lad, and its uh, uh, well-being, its continued operation has come under threat because of miscreants and misbehaving hooligans on the east side of Indianapolis. This is absolutely absurd. It's obscene. It's disgusting, especially to happen to something that has served the community so well for so many years um they just opened back up uh, i don't know if you saw this producer carl uh, on november 1st uh a fast walk on the east side of indianapolis and they had lines not only going out the door but wrapping around the block extending out to the street people waiting for hours five hours, seven hours, just to get a taste of this food. And while I might not stick around in line for that long, it was the outpouring of support for this restaurant, which kept its doors open, perhaps too late, and resulted in conflicts that then threatened to shut it down. They had more than five police calls in the span of two days, a gun incident, and broken front doors. This is absurd. Like, this is a, this is a sign of the continued degradation of the east side of all of Indianapolis under the leadership of Mayor Joe Hogsett, or I guess the lack of leadership of Mayor Joe Hogsett. And now these miscreants think that they can misbehave and get away with it. People have lost the ability to behave like decent human beings, and it's absolutely sad. So after two days, Mama said she'd had enough. She was shutting down the restaurant for good, and I don't blame her. She'd shuttered the doors, I believe, last year in 2022. It's been almost a year that they've stayed closed because she had a stroke which prevented her from operating uh, uh, operating and cooking and doing all the tasks she needed to as a restaurateur and the community was thrilled that she was coming back and then she said she had enough after the violence and I don't blame her shuttering the doors permanently now supposedly now and then you know this has been a developing story like I said it was a roller coaster for a couple of days there mama is coming back in January of next year, they're bringing back security and they're bringing back better crowd control and they're bringing back a different order system and a way to better manage the crowds. But how sad is it that those are the steps that have to be implemented to keep this institution around? And it was threatened. And you may still have lost uh, the free Thanksgiving. I saw it posted on the Fast Walk Facebook page that they were taking away the free community Thanksgiving for this year due to the uh, vandalism and the trouble surrounding their uh, restaurant so that just shows the uh the intangible things that are lost in a community when it is taken by violent crime the the fringe benefits of living in a civilized society like having a free community thanksgiving from a beloved small business institution and you know to, to be so mistreated after 30 years i think is beyond the pale and it sucks because the east side is not going to get any better for at least probably another six years um producer carl you can commiserate with me 
in the failed uh, election bid for Jefferson Shreve, who didn't deserve to win the election, but in being so incompetent has doomed Indianapolis to at least another four years of Joe Hogsett's leadership. You thought he was going to win the election. Carl was texting me. He's like, oh, Ethan, there's all these signs on Meridian Hills that say Jefferson Shreve, and these people are usually liberals, and they're going to vote for Jefferson Shreve, and we're going to get Hogsnot out. Yeah. Now, Now, how's that looking, huh, Producer Carl? How's that looking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't even close, man. It wasn't even close. Hawks not said the election was close. What did he lose by like 15%? Now he deserved to lose. But you want to talk about a trouncing. You know what would have been better? He wasted north of $15 million on this crap. Can you believe that, Producer Carl? $15 million. Now, there's a couple. Imagine what we could do with 15 right. Now, there's a couple of better ways that he could have spent that money. Number one, he could have just bribed Joe Hogsett to step away from the office. I think he would have taken $15 million. It's going to buy a lot of booze and a lot of rehab, allegedly, for $15 million. So that can go a long way. Um, Or... If you're intent on running a clean campaign, just throw the money at a better qualified candidate. Can you imagine what Abdul would have done with $15 million? It'd be over. We what, what, what are we talking about? Uh, Deborah Whitfield, first black mayor in Marion County down there in uh, Lawrence, ran a competitive election, and the Democrat came out on top, and now she's the first black mayor in Marion County. Could have been Abdul. They could have been sharing the headlines. Now, some of you listeners, you were criticizing me and saying, oh, what about Abdul's love for... <laughs> The, the unions and he supports the, the teachers unions and we can't have that as a mayor well now we got joe Hogsnot as mayor and jefferson Shreve wasn't going to be much better he didn't understand the legislative authority of the mayor's office he didn't understand the second amendment didn't understand the first amendment and he was a spineless weevil on top of it had to be given permission to finish his damn thoughts during the debate so he wasn't going to be an adequate mayor of indianapolis and we're just we're stuck I'm so sad because we're stuck for at least another six years of crap because we got four years of the next Democratic mayor, Joe Hogsnod, per you know, un- unless something just wild happened. And then we got at least another two years, assuming the Republican or a better candidate wins the election, to try and fix this mess because it's not going to happen overnight after election night. Indianapolis is saved. No, no, we got to dig ourselves out of this hole. So we're talking about at least six more years of decay until we can turn this thing around because Jefferson Shreve ran such an inadequate campaign. I'm beyond frustrated, but that's that's the state of the elections here in Marion County. And on top of it, in my beloved uh, city of or, or town of Irvington, municipality of Irvington, there on the east side of Indianapolis, they elected predictably uh, the first openly communist Democrat socialist Karl Marx loving uh, Jesse Brown there to city council in District 13. Well, I didn't vote for him. I voted for Libby Glass. I voted for the Libertarian. It wasn't going to happen. I know Irvington, uh, the community in which I live, is deeply, deeply blue um, uh, to to the to the point of uh, 
uh, ridiculousness, actually. They're like a university town minus the university. You know, you got, you got all the stereotypical tropes. You got your uh, Black Lives Matter flags, your rainbow flags, your coexist bumper stickers, the whole nine yards. It was pretty predictable that they were going to uh, walk away with Jesse Brown. But it's condemning Indianapolis to a much more difficult economic climate. And we got more woke activists uh, existing on the city council and going to cause problems in the city of Indianapolis. Get ready, pal. You're going to end for a problem. Thanks for listening to 93 WIABC Saturday night on The Circle. I got to go because coming up next, Hat Tricks with Hatcher. We're going to play the latest in stupidity from politics. Don't miss a ridiculous interaction with a social justice warrior and a police officer who pulled her over in a DUI. We'll give you the blow by blow up next. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Keep rolling, rolling, Welcome rolling. back to another edition of Saturday Night swollen. on the Circle, where this week we'll show you absolutely ridiculous scenes, including protesters who have stormed the office of a representative who had formerly been shot in the head, now accusing her of genocide. Also, Kamala Harris returning to insult your intelligence, and a 19-year-old who doesn't understand punching strangers in the head might upset people, plus a mentally deranged woman gets drunk and encounters a police officer all of this caught on tape don't miss a moment of this unfolding for this week's edition of satire of hat tricks with hatcher it's time for another one of hatcher's hat tricks the story you are about to see is true the names have been changed to protect the innocent listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, where I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, and producer Gary, beep, 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 pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We start this week with protesters who have stormed the office of uh, Representative Gillibrand, accusing her of genocide in the cutely dubbed Genocide Gillibrand chant. <laughs> It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. People, people, calm down. (laughs) Standing out here yelling rabble, rabble, rabble isn't going to help anything. But we don't know what else to do, Mayor. So you got these purple-haired malcontents that are crowding around the office of a woman who got shot in the head by a deranged leftist pinned it on Republicans and their messaging strategy for the midterm election cycle that year and then has since become a hero among liberals until the moment she supported Israel's right to defend itself. Yes, apparently you heard that correct. Now her office is getting stormed by these purple-haired malcontents accusing her of supporting 
genocide, which is absolutely ridiculous. Israel has the sovereign right as a state to protect itself from a violent incursion of terrorists who murdered more than 1,300 civilians. Like, this is absurd. But that's the kind of supporters that the leftists have catered to, and now the chickens have come to home to roost, uh, as it were. Kamala Harris, uh, the vice president of the United States, insulting your intelligence, talking about how she defines collective bargaining for unions, which is uh, as transparently simple as she could make it um, in an incredibly insulting display. So collective bargaining is about saying, let the workers have a voice as a collective, all together, representing each one of them as a group, and then go into that negotiation, because then you start to equal out the balance in terms of power in a way that the outcome will be fair. That's what collective bargaining is about. That's what worker organizing is about. Cause I'd rather spend eternity eating shards of broken glass than spend one more minute with you. By that clip, you can clearly understand why the president or vice president's approval ratings are in the tank, and she's underwater, completely unpopular with the American people because she's incredibly insulting. She's not insightful, she's not incisive, she's not well spoken, she's not profound, she is faltering, and she is symptomatic of the virtue signaling and the identity politics that put her there, the problems which are causing issues across the country. Uh, Kamala Harris symptomatic of that issue. Other problems in the country include youths who don't understand the simple the simple concept that punching strangers in the face is bound to elicit ire from the general public. This is Alfred Lewis of Houston, who had been caught on camera filming himself punching strangers, and he just doesn't understand why things went so wrong, why things went so bad, and people, you know, they object to that. Well, you know, the folks make mistakes. This is Alfred Lewis uh, responding to the news. 19-year-old Alfred Lewis spoke with me about how he feels about it now. You know, I just made a mistake and everybody makes mistakes. This is the video in question, first shared with KHOU 11 via the Nextdoor app. In it, you can clearly see Lewis striking a man in the head from behind before he turns around in shock. I know like from the video, all you see is like the bad part about it, but um, what people didn't see was that I shook his hand after and how I had gave the man a hug. That is something we cannot verify, nor can we confirm that another man seen in the video getting punched and grabbed later left on good terms, according to Lewis. I really didn't expect for it to just go so left, you know. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 19-year-old. That is a legal adult who claims he doesn't understand that punching strangers is something that's going to elicit anger. And his vote counts the same as you or I. Uh, Alfred Lewis of Houston um, uh, bringing up representation for the mentally deranged, including... Uh, I, 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 I forget where this, this transpired, but um, a woman who was pulled aside um, under suspicion of DUI, which he later was found to be thoroughly intoxicated from the breathalyzer and uh, blood draw and her inability to perform 
the uh, basic sobriety tests, uh, field sobriety tests from the officer. But listen to how patient this guy is in the prolonged interchange. And she tries to use, and I mean every excuse in the book. Oh, I have social anxiety. I'm afraid of white men. I'm indigenous. I'm non-binary. The whole nine yards, you'll hear it unfold in a series of clips. Uh, starting with this. What's going on? Nothing. Why are you driving in the wrong way of traffic? No, I just got changed around. I just moved here like two months ago. Okay. I just got changed around. Okay. Do you understand what's going on though? Yes. You're going into oncoming yes. traffic. I know, and I just decided that it was better just to turn around really quick. So, okay. But I'm sorry. I just have like really bad social anxiety and stuff. I get you. I don't want to step out whenever you're asking for stuff. Okay, well, we're past that. Let's just go ahead and step out. As an indigenous person. Uh... Right back here, please. Miss Perry? Am I... Well, I'm non-binary, so... Okay. What do you go by? Kai. How can I refer to you tonight? Kai? Kai. Okay. Hey, I'm smelling alcohol. I know. How much have you consumed tonight? Like, probably through Jane. I need to run you through some tests right now. Stand facing me, please. But I just want you to know that I also have very bad social anxiety. You and me both. <laughs> okay. okay. Any recent head trauma, traumatic brain injuries, anything I need to know about? Uh, mental, yes. <laughs> Focus on my finger, please. I am. Mental illness is a political identity and always has been. So you can hear she's inebriated. She's clearly, you know, slurring her words. She's not all there. She's claiming anxiety, non-binary. And this officer is being as patient as he possibly can. And it continues. You're just like trying to intimidate me. I don't know how I'm trying to do that. This is the test. As you know, as an indigenous person and there's a bunch of Boink. going around. I'm sorry, but it's just for me to be on my toes. I get you. Can you remember that I told you that I'm non-binary? Yeah, I'll try my hardest. I'll refer to you as Kai, right? Yes. Perfect. I need to know if you have any injuries or anything that would prevent you from doing a standard walk or a turn tonight. Mental health. Um, any physical injuries? Mental, yeah. <laughs> I get you. What else do you want? Now with your right foot, place it in front of your left in a heel to toe touching manner with your arms by your side, just like this, ma'am. Can you not call me ma'am, please? I'm trying my hardest. Okay, well. Okay. It means a lot to me. I'm trying my hardest. I don't feel like a man, so. Okay. It's kind of triggering. This poor officer has the patience of a saint for dealing with this woman, but it did not end well for her because, of course, she was not passing the field sobriety test. She's breaking down. She's clearly emotional. She's throwing around excuses and then is surprised this didn't end well for her when she was brought into custody. Right foot in front of your left. Nope. Go back. I'm sorry, but the whole man thing just like. I apologize. Let's see if we can move sorry. forward from it. You have zero questions? No, but I just wanted to tell you that I suffer from really bad anxiety, especially uh, with generational trauma and PTSD around white people and cops. Like, it's just. I'm going to speak with you right over here, okay? No. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead and place your hands behind your back. Don't, dude. Don't make don't, it hard. Please. Don't make it hard. No. Don't. You're, you're going to get a resistance. Dude, I 
resist. You're going to get a I don't. Don't resist. Don't. Listen to me. Don't resist. Don't. You're being Come a here. white man and Come don't. Here. I <laughs> followed all of your shit. <laughs> like, indigenous person. Like, <laughs> you guys. You guys are scaring me. There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> yes. So while woke whining will get you an A in social studies, it will not get you out of a DUI. Remember that the next time you're intoxicated and hop behind the wheel. Words of Wisdom on 93 WIBC, Saturday night on The Circle. Stay tuned, because up next we'll tell you the sordid tale of uh, uh, Caitlin Siragusa Amaranth online and what she's got for sale for you up next. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your curmudgeonly host, Ethan Hatcher. Thanks for listening. This week, I got to fill in on the Kendall and Casey show where Rob Kendall and I discussed a most intriguing woman who has partnered with a Polish brewing company to sell a new kind of beer which we discussed on the show what is this lady's name what is it this what's oh her name? caitlin siragusa no, otherwise a, Am, was, amaranth, yeah, amaranth. Is, her, yeah, is her online A-Amaranth? handle amaranth amaranth so she is some sort of internet influencer she's an e-thought oh she's a what an e-thought <laughs> what the hell t-h-o-t is that? that hoe over there oh <laughs> <laughs> oh well, okay then. She's uh, there's a new product out that she is lending not only her name but lending a lot more to. <laughs> and Ethan is adamant that we discuss this when we come back. It's the uh, Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIPC. There are some really weird men in this world. Yes, there are, and there are some brilliant women who are willing to exploit them for every penny they have. It is the it's the Kendall and Casey show. Um, <laughs> WIBC. I'm Rob. Uh, Kev's here. Ethan's in for Casey today. One of my favorite things that I used to love to do was I would just sit and I would watch the interactions between um, men, and I used to call them suckers, and women at a bar and to see how long these men would be able to be exploited to give women free drinks that they had no intention of these women had no intention of like going on a date with them learning more about them and we used to get great joy out of watching people part with their money just to have the attention just of to, this woman for a few fleet, minutes. the fleeting moment of attention, right? <laughs> and so it is long gone past. You children and your young Eric, what are you? Are you 30? I'm 30. You're, You're 30. 31 tomorrow. Oh, happy early birthday, by the way. Well, now we know what to get you here. We'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> and you're 28. Yeah, I'm 28. Uh, uh, it has gone way past... The, I mean, that was innocent, and hey, you're out a few bucks because you bought a girl some shots. To now the things that men are parting with Willing their monies on, for. 
and mm. it is just Ethan. You saw this story, mm. and okay, this woman's name. What is her name? Her name is Caitlin Saragusa, uh-huh. but she goes by the online handle of Amaranth. She's Amaranth. an e-girl. E thought she sells e-girl pictures of herself online oh. to thirsty simp's, as they're known. Um, <laughs> He's just rolling out all the phrases. <laughs> Careful here, Ethan. Well, uh, you can call them simp's. That's that's an yeah, accurate we, we, descriptor. We've said that before. That's, is that what does simp's mean? What is that? Uh, simping is like a simpleton. Oh. You are you are um, yeah. a simpleton yeah, for okay. these women. Very good, very good. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, so what used to happen in the bars now it happens on the internet. Mm-hmm. You give this woman money, she pretends what to like be interested in you for a few minutes. This woman is following in what I won't call a proud tradition, but a tradition nonetheless yeah. of e-girls like Belle Delphine, who you may remember a few years ago. Oh, having... I remember Belle Delphine. <laughs> Ethan, I can you... tell you I have spent time with exactly zero e-girls. Oh, oh no, you don't have to spend time to know of the selling of the bathwater. Oh, that was a yes. rather Yeah, yeah, so you do know Belle Delphine. See? The selling of the bathwater. And Caitlin Siragusa, uh, Amaranth, as she's known, in an attempt to yeah. one-up, I guess, Belle Delphine's uh, commercial enterprise of selling used bathwater, uh-huh. has uh, partnered with a Polish brewing company. <laughs> they they beer they brew beer. Well, she's, like, she's like putting she's, her picture on a beer bottle or no, something? No, she's selling a little more than her image. Oh, um, oh no. How do I put this, Rob? Uh, you know how in the brewing process uh-huh. one requires yeast yeah, to, uh-huh. to ferment the alcohol? Sure, and get yeah. The process Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, this uh, time on tradition. Mm-hmm. This Polish brewing company uh-huh. is um, harvesting yeah. the, can we say vaginal lactic acid? Well, you just on said it. Sh- okay. I think it's uh, a medical thing. It is a, it is a medical thing um, from this young woman, uh-huh. a 29-year-old, uh, in the propagation of yeast for their brewing. Uh, she says people will buy it, quote, it's hilarious. People buy it for sure. I don't know if they'll actually drink it. I mean, they'll probably drink it. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> she says it'll taste creamy and sweet. Uh, let's see. Uh, th- th- this is a legitimate quote, drink. Quote, the Twitch influencer has an itch that her vaginal yeast additive will give the beer a creamy but oh, sweet so taste. No. This is gross. This is has so someone gross. told Hammer and Nigel about this? Yes. I think this could be like a beer sample Friday <laughs> drink. This is so th- so. A, this is a legitimate company. This is not like oh, some, some guy. They've done it before. This isn't even the first girl they've partnered with. With, I guess she's just the one with the highest profile. They have other uh, online performance we, artists we who gotta ask Cla- have contributed these fluids for the brewing. We got to ask Kloppensteinstein. Oh. Kloppensteinstein is the guest host tomorrow. Oh, we got to yeah. ask because he has the Alps Brow yeah. brew about like what. Maybe they can come out with a version of this with an Indiana performer. This woman isn't even that attractive. I mean, she's fine, but when, like, you can tell. She's like a broad ripple nine. No, 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 no. Maybe (laughs) maybe an eight. I don't mean to. What kind of women are getting into broad ripple? Ethan, if you have to ask that question, then you. I don't hang around broad ripple. I'm a square. I've made this abundantly clear. She's fine, though, but it's like I can't imagine that this woman is that attractive that somebody would be willing to give her money for this. Well, they're giving the Polish company the money for it. I but guess I the mean, Polish company is paying her yeah, for the products. Yeah, this is a marketing. They're I laughing mean, themselves all the way to the bank. Doesn't this person look like a, an animated person? She doesn't even look like a real human being. And, and then you, when you see her when she's not made up, she's not nearly as attractive. Yeah, like the e-girl culture, it's all about trying to be like an anime character, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, but, but, Rob, that's a time, uh, time-honored tradition. Uh, women have been using ma- makeup to hide a multitude of sins for eons. Thousands of years. I can't. <laughs> I'm so, all I have to say is I'm so glad I'm no longer in the dating game. I'm so glad I don't have to worry about this. But, be, Kev, you're right. For sample Friday, that'd be brilliant for Hammer and Nigel. Sitting on a Welcome back to Hour 2 of Saturday Night on the Circle. If you missed a moment of the broadcast, catch my podcast uploaded to SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM as well as WIBC.com. And always feel free to hop in the comments while we're streaming live on the YouTube machine. This segment in honor of Veterans Day, which today is, I wanted to turn back the clock and reflect for a moment on the sacrifices of veterans past in two of the greatest conflicts to ever engulf the globe. And of, of course, referring about World War One and World War Two. This was a fascinating interview series that aired on the BBC in 1964 of veterans who had participated in the First World War. One of them included Stephen Kurt Westman, who was born in 1893 and served in both world wars, most interestingly, on opposite sides. He was born a German and served in the uh, German 29th Infantry Division on the Western and Eastern Fronts, as well as becoming an Air Force surgeon, although he was unqualified. After the war in the 1930s, he emigrated to Britain and then served as a Scottish medical officer for the British Army during World War II, in such that he served on opposite sides of both world wars. So he has an in particular interesting perspective. And this was a segment in the interview, which he talked about the human cost of the war, the toll that it takes on the men that we send into these battles. And it's incredible what is asked of in, in especially of world war one, uh, younger than 18 year old boys, really. I mean, 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds, 19 and 20 year olds being sent to die and take the lives of their fellow men and then go home and raise families and deal with it in a time when you weren't allowed to talk about these horrors or discuss them. And even if you did, the people around you wouldn't have a basis to relate or compare those life experiences. So this was Stephen Westman recalling the moment where he was forced to kill a French infantryman on the front lines of World War I, reflecting for Veterans Day today. One day we got orders to storm a French position. We got in, and my comrades fell right and left of me. But then I was confronted by a French corporal. He with his bayonet at the ready, and I with my bayonet at the ready. For a moment, I felt the fear of death. And in a fraction of a second, I realized that he was after my life exactly as I was after his. I was quicker than he was. I tossed his rifle away and I ran my bayonet through his chest. He fell, put his hand on the place where I had hit him, and then I trust again. Blood came out of, of his mouth and he died. I felt physically ill. I nearly vomited. My knees were shaking, and I was, quite frankly, ashamed of myself. 
my comrades, I was a corporal there and then, were absolutely undisturbed by what had happened. One of them boasted that he had killed the poor Lee with, his, with the butt of his rifle. Another one had strangled a captain, a French captain. A third one had hit somebody over the head with his speed. And they were ordinary men like me. One of them was a tram conductor, another one a commercial traveler. Two were students, the rest were farm workers, ordinary people who never would have thought to do any harm to anyone. How did it come about that they were so cool? That was the perplexing conundrum of World War I, where you had what had been a formerly peaceful society, largely pre-industrial. War had never been experienced on this scale, with this severity, with this level of casualties, seeing so many young men cut down in the prime of their lives. And what struck Stephen there was how pointless the conflict seemed as these young men Farmers, train conductors, rural peasants were being pressed into military life for what what ultimately was a pointless conflict uh, in the closing days of uh, European monarchies. And he continued with these observations. I remembered then that we were told that a good soldier kills without thinking of his adversary as a human being. The very moment he sees in him a fellow man, he is not a good soldier anymore. But I had in front of me the dead man, the dead French soldier. And how would I like him to have raised his hand? I would have shaken his hand and we would have been the best of friends. Because he was nothing like me but a poor, boy who had to fight, who had to go in with the most cruel weapons against the men who had nothing against him personally, who only wore the uniform of another nation, who spoke another language, but a man who had father and mother and a family perhaps. And so I felt. I woke up at night sometimes drenched in sweat because I saw the eyes of my fallen adversary, of the enemy, and I tried to convince myself what would have happened to me if I wouldn't have been quicker than he, what would have happened to me if I wouldn't have thrust my bayonet first into his belly. What was it that we soldiers stabbed each other, strangled each other, went for each other like mad dogs. What was it that we, who had nothing against them personally, fought to them, fought with them to the very end and death? We were civilized people after all. But I felt that the culture we boasted so much about is only a very thin lacquer, which chips off the very moment we come in contact with cruel things like real war. To fire at each other from a distance, to drop bombs is something impersonal. But to see each other's white in the eyes and then to run with a bayonet against a man 
that was against my conception and against my inner feeling. Before the greatest generation of World War II, there was the silent generation that birthed them, the war that many people forgot because it was so harrowing when they came home. They simply didn't talk about it. And the history of World War I in many ways wasn't written until decades after the fact when you had these firsthand experiences being recounted by the soldiers when they were much older men. And at a time there in 1964 when they had saw this global conflagration not once but twice so the perspective i think that is offered there is incredibly invaluable and if you have the opportunity to watch stephen westman's interview in full on the bbc i recommend you do so and if you want to further experience the perspective and the the firsthand sights and sounds of world war one soldiers do yourself a big favor and watch uh uh percy jack not, not percy jackson um Oh, forget the director. Peter Jackson. There we go. Peter Jackson's um, They Shall Not Grow Old, which is a World War One documentary film that was stitched together solely using World War One footage. Uh, it was cleaned up, stabilized, speed corrected and added sound to enhance your immersion in the first person sights of the people who saw the war. And in honor of those troops, if you have a, a veteran in your life, a loved one who has survived a conflict like this, uh, do, you know, give them a hug, shake their hand, let them know that their service is appreciated and not forgotten. And it's in their honor we play uh, the U.S. paratrooper anthem, Blood Upon the Risers, as our outro for this segment on this Veterans Day. He hit the ground, the sound was flat, his blood went spreading high. His comrades, they were hurt to say a hell of a way to die. He lay the rolling ground in the welter of his gore, and he ain't gonna jump no more. veteran and happy veterans day from everyone here at 93 wibc and saturday night on the circle stay tuned ladies and gentlemen
Saturday night on the circle on 93 WIBC. Those were the days. Oh, yes, those were the days. Welcome back, dear listeners, to 93 WIBC Saturday night on the circle. I'm your bespectacled curmudgeon, Ethan Hatcher, and it's been 17 months, 17 months since the court initially dismantled. Roe versus Wade. And now, since then, we have slow walked our way to a point where many of the same institutional protections have been codified throughout states across the union. And it could spell potential election doom for Republicans in 2024. We only have a few months to hammer out the messaging, and it does not look good for the strictly pro-life crowd. Um, It was Justice Samuel Alito who challenged voters to decide the future of abortion when he wrote the U.S. Supreme Court opinion saying, we do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond, noting uh, as he threw out the precedent. Now, it's quite clear the majority of Americans do support at least some access to abortion, and Republicans are on a losing message. Uh, In Virginia and Ohio especially, there were resounding defeats. Part of that can be blamed on the incompetent leadership of Rona McDaniel, and part of that can be blamed on the unpopular stance of pro-life that many Republicans have chosen to take. Now, I say that because it is so overwhelmingly popular that this position gets more votes than uh, the vote for president. Uh, In counties where Donald Trump won abortion, uh, uh, the, the, the question won even more resoundingly. In the counties where Biden won, it won by a greater margin. So clearly you have bipartisan support for this particular issue. And the Republicans, the, the the clock is ticking. It is clearly going to be an, an election strategy of Democrats, especially after the resounding victories in Ohio and Virginia, to lean in to the abortion issue as part of their election strategy. And Republicans have to figure out a competent way to respond, and not just through fundraising, although that would help. And I say fundraising because, of course, Rona McDaniel is trying to divest herself of responsibility for the stuff defeat of both houses in the Virginia legislature. She abandoned Glenn Youngkin trying to claim that his campaign didn't want RNC bucks. Ha! Don't make me laugh. Anybody turning away election cash is absurd, but that was the claim that she made. And the uh, journalist who was interviewing her also pointed out the absurdity of uh, such a such a claim. You don't let people lie about you and let, let it not let it go unanswered. Let it go unanswered. If, if you if somebody's spending thirty million dollars against you and they're lying about you and say you won't give life saving care for miscarriages or an ectopic pregnancy, you better get on TV and tell them that that's a, the voters that that's a lie, or they think that's the truth. And our candidates have got to do this. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can go and say, this is where I stand. The Democrats are lying. And now let's talk about crime, schools, border, fentanyl, and national security. I just want to clarify one quick thing, though. The RNC had no involvement in these elections of Virginia per Governor Youngkin's request. We not. Well, we were told in the summer they didn't need us, that they had all the money and they were good. So that is that was a conversation. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be following up on that. <laughs> 
to find out what's that all about. That's the first time I've heard that. Perhaps you think you're being treated unfairly? No. Good. This deal is getting worse all the time. So she left him out to dry and continues uh, her lackluster leadership, uh, leading Republicans in many instances to defeat in key election races. So we have a, a click a ticking clock. Um, time is running out to hammer out the messaging, um, and it's going to be important to align on this issue in advance of uh, the 2024 race, again, because Democrats are going to make it part of their election strategy, and you are kidding yourself um, if you think that uh, that they aren't. And, and Republicans in this case are somewhat weak on the issue, but what they can do is promote a culture of life, something that... Uh, um, Ron DeSantis talked about during the debate, and it's not legislative, um, a legislative prescription, but it is uh, the the idea that Republicans, as a matter of principle, uh, support the uh, support women um, to be able to have children, to be able to raise those children in a productive uh, way, in a productive society, and there are other ways to give women the support they need to raise the children. Um, and, and could be an effective way to uh, uh, circumvent or, or counter-message the Democrat offense. Here was what Ron DeSantis had to say during the Republican debate. Let's talk now about last night's election results. Abortion rights supporters saw victories in Ohio and Virginia following earlier wins in states like Kansas and Kentucky. Governor DeSantis, first to you, how do you see the path forward for Republicans on this issue? Well, I stand for a culture of life, and uh, I understand that it's important that everyone gets a shot. I, I'm reminded of a story about a, a young mother who was struggling in Jamaica about 40 years ago, 45 years ago. She was counseled to, to not have a baby because she was poor, baby wouldn't have opportunity, and she came close to have an abortion. But she decided to have the baby born poor in Jamaica. And the reason I know that story is because that baby girl ended up emigrating to the state of Florida, uh, becoming a lawyer and a judge, and I appointed her to the Florida Supreme Court in August of 2022. We're better off when everybody counts. Uh, we're better off when we can promote a culture of life. And he's right. When everybody counts and when you give women the support they need to raise children in a productive society to be productive members, then, then we are better off, generally speaking. Um, but not every person is in a position to carry that out. Some pregnancies are incredibly difficult, and then dooming women to essentially march themselves to death's door before they have the opportunity for medical intervention is just not something that is going to that is going to resonate with suburban soccer, mo soccer moms and whether or not you care, that is a demographic that is going to be important to win in the 2024 election cycle. And if Republicans distance themselves from, from a significant majority of that demographic, then they are likely to lose. So you better get your messaging straight um, it, in the next, what is it now, 12 months or so until the 2024 election, because it's going to be important and it could be the difference between a Republican victory or loss. Thanks for listening to 93 at WIBC. Coming up next, we'll tell you about corruption from the mayor's office in uh, New York City to a local former sheriff who's been uh, charged with 15 felonies and dubbed a flight risk. We'll tell you about that up next on 93 WIBC. Mm -hmm.
Come all you jolly jokers and listen while I hum a story I'll relate to you of the great American bum. From the east, the west, the north, the south, like a swarm of bees, they come. They sleep in the dirt and wear a shirt that's dirty and full of crumbs. Oh, it's early. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Gazes all around from the box car and the have descended upon your local office. We already knew politicians were corrupt, but man, oh man. Have I got some stories for you. Corruption in the mayor's office of New York City, as well as a local sheriff's office here in Indiana. We'll start with Eric Adams, who has been descended upon by the FBI, allegedly for possibly violating federal election law. This is relating to a group of straw donors from the Turkish government who allegedly helped finance his campaign. This is related to an FBI investigation that has been ongoing for some time but became public on Friday when FBI agents uh, uh, with a court-authorized warrant stopped Adams on the street and requested his security detail step aside. They proceeded to enter his SUV where they see cell phones and an iPad. This is after um, the seizure of devices from Adams' campaign consultant where they seized three iPhones, two laptops, personal documents, and other evidence. Eric Adams maintains his innocence, but you know it's not good when FBI officers are descending on the mayor's office. Like, I don't I don't recall that happened with uh, Mayor Doomsburg, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, uh, in the previous administration or other recent uh, uh, mayors of New York City. So, yeah, that's Eric Adams, who had, you know, welcomed the illegal aliens uh, to flood into uh, into his city up until the moment they actually arrived. And now it turns out he may have been elected in conjunction with operatives from the Turkish government. This is some truly wild stuff, and it's unfolding in front of our eyes. But it's not just the mayor's office. It's also the president of the United States. Democrats have set a lovely example. Joe Biden admitting he's taken home skiff documents dating back since at least 1974 that he's been uh, hoarding top secret materials in his garage, uh, in his home, next to the Corvette, in his uh, office buildings, sitting on them for decades. Uh, you got his son who's laundering money through purchases of his ridiculous art. Um, oh, and now, now um, his art dealer is being investigated by the federal government. The uh, House Oversight Committee see, uh, sending subpoenas to Hunter Biden's uh, uh, art dealer uh, relating to financial tra uh, transactions, bank records, and his dealings with Biden family members. So the noose is tightening uh, across the board, whether it's for Eric Adams or the Biden crime family. You have corruption at every level. It's absurd, and the American people better wake up because they continue empowering this Kind of bad behavior from their politicians by voting for and supporting them and sometimes you got to bite the bullet and it, it means that uh, the the opposition candidate may win an election but there's always next cycle a prime example being the uh, 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 election day here in Marion County where Jefferson Shreve was not the Republican that you wanted uh, to solve the problems of the city of Indianapolis. He was not a worthy leader, and you could you, so and you can't support that. So sometimes 
even when the candidate is on your side, it means not supporting bad candidates. And if they are exhibiting this level of corruption, then absolutely do not vote for them. Of course, I doubt many uh, uh, listeners here in WIBC land are going to be voting for the Democrat mayor of New York City or for the Democratic president of the United States. But it bears mentioning, especially for when those stinkers do it, Republicans here in the state of Indianapolis. And you have corruption, uh, this time in uh, sheriff's department, a former sheriff um, of Clark County. You want to talk about a uh, misbegotten, corrupt little county. Clark County is ridiculous. I had uh, uh, some scrapes with the justice system uh, there in Clark County myself, uh, mostly related relating to a speeding ticket a few years ago in which I tried I tried in vain to contest, and I was uh, allowed to meet with the prosecutor's office. Didn't even go before a judge, and they just gave me a, a, a slight deferment to pay the ticket at a later date, but ultimately I had to uh, cough up the funds didn't even have the opportunity to contest the ticket which it says that you can do but clark county obviously a very corrupt little town and uh, this former sheriff jamie knoll arrested on wednesday was charged with 15 felonies and is believed to be a flight risk how do you like that he's accused of one count of corrupt business influence a level five felony two counts of theft level five felonies three counts of uh, theft a level six felony four counts of uh, ghost employment a level six felony four counts of off official misconduct a level six felony and one count of obstruction of, of justice a level six felony uh, accusations have been made that Jamie Knoll used his position as sheriffs to help uh, com complete his own financial projects and to give a former police officer a pension that they did not earn According to uh, Sheriff Maples in a Facebook post, he said, knowing this officer did not qualify for the pension, my command staff looked into his request and we found documents which appeared to have been falsified, forged, and destroyed to fraudulently make it appear that this person was owed a pension. The officer was related to Noel, according to Sheriff Maples. So the... <laughs> The investigation is revealing quite a lot, and now he is charged with uh, uh, 15 felony counts of uh, corruption there in small Clark County of Indiana. So, again, it's everywhere at every level. It's Democrats. It's both sides. It's Democrats. It's Republicans. It's small town government. It's your federal government. And the only way that we're going to rein this in is through action and accountability by the people. It's the only way it's going to happen. Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't look very likely either, as indicated by the election results uh, of this uh, uh, last cycle. Um, so get get ready, Bow. You're going to end for a problem here in 2024. Um, there is a sp spot of good news, though, a speck of good news. More than 9 in 10 Americans are saying no thanks to the latest COVID-19 booster shot. Like, that has long since passed us by. We're done with that. Yeah, I see Gary nodding his head. You're not getting that. Like, okay, so, Producer Gary, did you get the uh, initial jab? Like, I got the J&J, &J, but that was it for me. So did you get vaccinated at all, or did you just totally skip out? Well, I fought it. I fought it. Fought I fought it. it for a long time. Yeah, I'm still learning English. But, uh, yeah, I fought it for a long time. And my wife, who does have some medical issues, kind of uh, persuaded me to get it done. So sure. for, for her sake, not so much mine, but I did uh, get it done for her. And then I do have a granddaughter that kind of wanted to take care of her, too. So 
So I did it for everybody else, but not for me. Well, I did it for me. I'm selfish because I have asthma, and I thought that it would be prudent to get the jab, you know, because they were saying it was a respiratory virus, and especially early in the pandemic, it was targeting people who had pre-existing rep- respiratory conditions, including asthma, so I thought it was prudent to do so. But I only ever got the one. I didn't go back for the subsequent jabs, and the more the pandemic wore on, the more clear it became they were wholly unneeded. Like, 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 basically, and and then now, what what you hear is uh, the these these uh, COVID nineteen shots are basically just another version of your flu shot. In fact, they want you to take it with the flu shot because that's what it is. It's just another respiratory virus variant, and the pharmaceutical companies are exceedingly transparent. Uh, their stocks have since tanked uh, following the uh, uh, lapse of people's uh, attention and investment in taking the uh, the vaccines they have plummeted and they are sponsoring ads which you'll hear even playing on our radio station trying to coax you into getting these shots but yes nine in ten americans are uninterested because it's it's just it is not the deadly plague we were led to believe and three years on there's more than an evi- more than enough evidence to substantiate that and americans patience has run out so there is a small glimmer of a bright spot in an otherwise bleak and depressing world filled with corruption, government mismanagement, uh, and uh, just all around uh, bad times. Thanks for listening to 93 WIBC. Catch our podcast uploaded to Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm as well as WIBC.com. Also, make sure to catch our broadcast uploaded to YouTube where you can hop into the comments section while we broadcast live. We'll be uh, coasting things to a close in the next segment, so stay tuned for that because I want to give pet parents a word of warning from my own life, I had something incredibly tragic happen earlier in the week, um, and I'll share with you the details coming up next on how you can protect your pets and hopefully uh, uh, save yourself from the heartache that I had to experience. Stay tuned for that on 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to 93 WIPC. It's a Saturday night. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Gary is pushing the buttons and making the show function. In the final segment, I wanted to share a word of warning to pet parents. And I understand, uh, Producer Gary, you're a a fan of animals yourself. You you say you like uh, the furry floofs as well. Yeah, the dogs. The dogs. I yeah. Love dogs. I love dogs. Dogs are great. Uh, I'm more of a cat man. Uh, I have several cats at my house. I, I had um, five lovely cats. Um, uh, Mr. Cup of Joe, Mr. Mocha, Miss Decaf, uh, Mr. French Roast, and Mr. Pumpkin Spice. And this this week, tragically, um, on Wednesday, I woke up and found the last thing that any pet parent wants to see. Um, my cat had strangled himself to death on my dining room chair, which was awful. And it's not the way you want to see your friend. Um, I, I share that tragic experience um, as a word of warning. Before, I mean, I had, to, I had to take care of him first thing in the morning. I couldn't even uh, go into work, you know, on time because uh, I, I had to take care of him and get him buried out in the back, back lawn. 
Um, but you would never imagine that your your cat or your pet, your you know small animal, would be able, capable of strangling themselves on a chair. And it's just one of those very common dining room chairs that one sees everywhere with the wooden slats on the back. And somehow that poor little soul uh, got his head wedged in between the wood slats. And I suspect he must have panicked. Um, I, I just found him dangling there and he was, he was already limp. He was already cold. Like he was, he was, he was gone. I mean, he was, he was gone. He had been gone for, for a couple hours. Um, poor guy. And I think he, I think he snapped his own neck. Um, so pet parents out there learn from me, learn from my tragedy. Um, take a, take a look at the uh, chairs in your house. Um, if they are perhaps small animal sized, um, consider covering the wood slats with some kind of fabric so they can't, can't get in there or do what I did. I ended up throwing them out. Um, and I got new chairs. I went to, uh, Audrey's Place on the east side of Indianapolis. Uh, wonderful folks, good antique store, used furniture store, and picked out uh, four new dining room chairs um, and more in the passing of my my buddy Pumpkin Spice, who was a wonderful cat. Rescued him off the Home Depot shelf uh, just last year. He was a cold, lonely, dirty little friend, um, and he was a great pal. He, he just loved playing with the rest of the cats, got along, and then now, now he's gone. So learn from my mistakes Take a look at your house. Um, take a look at your your chairs. Uh, reevaluate if the wood slats need covered. Do that before something tragic happens uh, to to your furry friends. Um, so I don't really have anything positive to say uh, about that. But um, obviously, I was really depressed for most of the week after after that. And one of the ways that I take my mind off of sadness and off of anxiety generally is to uh, delve into antiques. And so that's what I'm going to do now. I brought into the studio one of the antiques from my collection that I had recently renovated, um, which is a concert roller organ uh, from about the turn of the century, 1900, like 1899, thereabouts. It would have been sold in the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Um, for less than $10, which made it very affordable back in the day. It was when the middle class was expanding um, as its own commercial force in American society. People started having disposable income, and one way that they would show off that new wealth was by acquiring these musical uh, instruments, and they also had the time, the time during the day, um, to play these things, whereas mostly, you know, society had been about working all day just to sustain yourself because of industrialization and the expanding middle class. All of a sudden, you had this wonderful thing to enjoy some free time and play wonderful music. So for your demonstration, here is what uh, uh, people would have enjoyed 100 years ago as it would have sounded the day that this thing got purchased. So a concert roller organ from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, manufactured in New York about 123 years ago. Here's what that sounds like.
that's a 20 note uh, musical instrument. Uh, you could exchange over a thousand musical cobs and play different tunes, making it very versatile, affordable, and uh, it, it just enchants you and takes you back in time. So I hope you enjoyed that. It certainly has been one of the ways I've distracted myself um, following a very tragic and otherwise depressing week. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. Unfortunately, that is all the time I have. So I'm going to leave you with my parting words of wisdom. As always, wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, remember that life is a state of mind. And I'll see you next week on 93 WIBC. <laughs>